This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Military Veteran Dad, and today is a special day. It's Father's Day. For, me, for those of you who don't follow me on socials, I've been on my own for the last three days. My wife had an opportunity to go to China for teaching, and on Friday she left, and it's been an interesting day. I've been blogging about it on my Facebook every day and in the Military Veteran Dad Facebook group. And the one thing that I've really enjoyed, especially today, was really just being present. And it's also interesting because you're on your own, so everything is on you. And today reminded me of having it on my own, but then also creating the circumstances for which I wanted for it to be successful. That if it wasn't a good Father's Day, it really was on me. There was really nobody else I could blame. I had to own it. And it made me remember what also a friend on Facebook reminded me of, that it's not about me on Father's Day. That really fatherhood is already the gift that I can never fully understand what it means to me, but that I'm thankful for it every day. And Father's Day is that day to just really be impactful, to honor fellow dads and what the role we have to play in our kids, but then also just re-anchor ourselves in what really matters in life, to reconnect with the memories, make a memory, reinvest in our kids, whatever it may be on Father's Day, but really just show up and remember that these are the best chance we have to go out into the world and to shape it in a way that's going to make an impact. Our kids are the best chance we have to a legacy past this time on earth that we have. It's not our military service. It's not who we served. It's not the branch of service we did. It's not how many battles you fought in the wars. It all comes back to your kids, your your family. Your family is your legacy. And in Father's Day, I'm reminded of how much that is important. And I'm also reminded of how impactful that can be on your life, especially when you're on your own. So these last three days have just been a little bit eye-opening, but then also just re-anchoring myself and who I want to be, where I want this podcast to go, and also just validating how much, how far I've come in my own journey as being a dad. Being on my own for three days and going on eight is my total that my wife is going to be gone for. That isn't something I could have did three years ago. I wasn't the right dad. I wasn't the right man. I mentally wasn't in the right space. But over the last year, and even in the last six months that I've really started this podcast and really started to own being a dad and then also help other dads be dads, it's really anchored myself in who I was and who I already was and just needed to be reminded of it. So on this Father's Day, show up for yourself, re-anchor yourself, 
And I know Father's Day is over, but every day is Father's Day. Every day we have the opportunity to to make an impact that you don't need a special holiday to feel special. Your son looks at you as a hero every single day of the year, 365 days of the year. Your daughter is already someone she loves and more than she can understand every single day of the year. And that happens every day. We just need to be present to it. So let's make every day Father's Day as we go forward. And just a reminder that we have a Facebook group where if you want to follow my journey on being a dad for eight days, go ahead and join in there. There's a link in the show notes for it. And this episode with Jason Valadeo is amazing. He's a author of the book, Exceptional Day. And he tells the story of humble beginnings of a childhood that most of us probably can relate to and how you can come through that, be the phoenix that rises from the ashes of what holds you back. And I'm always amazed at how many stories that you can hear about that always originate in some of the hardest of hardship times. If you've ever looked at Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, all of them come from very humble beginnings of almost nothing. And yet they rose through that perseverance on the other side to be victorious in ways that we are all envious today. But in reality, our lives are all better or maybe we're better off than they ever were in their life. But yet somehow we're still stuck moving through. So Jason Valadeo shares an amazing story of how to walk through that, how the mindset of what to do to get through that. And ultimately, it's the simple things like we talk about in a lot of these podcasts is that are going to move the needle, that are going to improve the dad we are today from the dad we want to be tomorrow and let us wake up and be a better person tomorrow and always as a husband, a father, as a human being, what that means for us to go out into the world every day and be intentional. Jason gives us clear examples and he is extremely vulnerable in his stories and where he comes from and also where he wants to go and how he brings what he talks about in his book into his everyday life with his daughters. So without further ado, happy Father's Day, guys, and enjoy this episode with Jason Valadeo. Today's guest, Jason Valadeo, currently serves the United States Navy as a family and sports medicine physician. From officer candidate school to life in the air and on aircraft carriers as a naval flight officer during Operations Iraqi and Enduring Freedom, his journey has been full of life-altering experiences that has allowed him to cross paths with from people from all walks of life. In 2017, he joined the faculty of the American Academy of Family Physicians Chief Resident Leadership Development Program, well, that's a mouthful, where I found yet another way to pay it forward as I became involved in teaching the newest groups of physician leaders. With a passion for leadership and personal growth, he became a certified coach, speaker, and trainer with the John Maxwell team, where he was the, has the opportunity to share his passion and vision of adding value to all of the lives that he comes in contact with, whether that person is in person, through his blog and website, or via his book, Exceptional Every Day. Jason, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hey, thanks a lot, Ben. Excited to be here with you today. And you were actually the very first uh, person that reached out to me via media contact that actually had someone come to me automatically and asking to come on the show. So I'm even more excited. <laughs> That's awesome. No, we've, uh, we've got a great team at Greenleaf Books who I've been working with, who I used as the publisher, and they've got a great team for marketing. And we've been uh, really going after it. And when they said that uh, they'd reached out to you and got a positive response, I was pretty excited. Yeah, you could have you could have given me a half positive response, and I would have probably reached out. <laughs> I was just excited. Go ahead and describe what your family looks like right now, and any gaps that intro you want to add. 
Uh, so right now I've, I've got two daughters and a wife and we've been on this Navy journey together for some time. The girls are nine and seven and we've kind of been all over the United States in terms of where we've been stationed and currently we're in Waco, Texas of all places, but that is coming to an end here in less than two months as we get ready to move on to a new Navy opportunity on the East coast in Rhode Island. And, uh, yeah, we're just, we're just moving along just like most military families that are looking at what's going to happen 10 years from now and trying to develop and raise these little girls at home is kind of my number one priority. So shortcut the math for me. How many years have you served? So I have been in now I'm on year 19. 19. Have you answered the question of are you done at 20 or are you? So I'm not allowed to be because they paid for medical school since I switched careers about halfway through and switched what my job was from flying to and also did some teaching along the way at an ROTC unit and then went to medical school. So that incurred an extra four year obligation. But then I came to Texas and did this fellowship at Baylor University in sports medicine. So that added on a little bit more time as well. So I've got, I've got a list about five to six years to go before I can say, okay, but we'll see what happens. It reminds me of the 30 year mortgage. <laughs> yes. You get down to like year 27 and then you get a flyer in the mail, lower your interest rate and then you, you jump on the bandwagon. And then a little bit later you realize those SOBs just reset my clock. <laughs> yes. I'm now back to a 30-year mortgage. Those three years are just gone, and they got me paying interest for another three years. And my wife tried to tried to tell me that she didn't realize that I owed an extra couple uh, just about an hour before we got on this interview together. And I said, are you kidding? You don't remember we talked about this? So it's kind of funny. But yes, the journey continues. Marriage happens in the fine print. <laughs> the details is sometimes yes. where you get hung up on. <laughs> So go ahead and share a story about what it means for you to come home. It can be at any point in your life, because I'm sure you've had different stages of your life where coming home meant different things. When you hear those words come home, what's something that's been impactful for you related to those two words? Well, I think one thing, and it's it's been a little different than maybe what some of our other military folks or even people who do other types of work, maybe outside the military, is when you have to go away for an extended period of time. And I've been pretty blessed in terms of since my little girls have been born, since I made that transition, I haven't deployed any anywhere for quite a while since I started the whole medical school journey, I would say. And so coming home has been a little different than what it was before we had children. Because when I would leave for a workup cycle or a deployment and my wife had her career and we didn't have kids to worry about, it was a little different because we we're each set in the things that we were doing. And I was excited. Don't, don't uh, take that the wrong way, but it was just different. Now having the two girls, even when I go to work, just for say a 10 or 12 hour day, or I have to go do a cover a late high school football game that goes till midnight and I miss dinner with them. It really eats me up inside. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I, I know a lot of people that travel for work and I counsel a lot and coach a lot of people, especially men who are trying to figure out that balance in terms of why am I not more excited about coming home? And I try to share my passion for that. I mean, for me, like if I can get off work even an hour early on some days, I, I want to get home and do things with my girls right away because we have a pretty regimented schedule. You'd almost think we're the Marine Corps in our house. And my wife's like, the kids are in bed at seven o'clock. I'm like, can they just stay up 30 minutes later so I can go outside and play catch with them or take them to the basketball court or sit down and read with them for a while. And so coming home is, is really what this is all about. And when I got into the idea of, hey, what am I going to be able to do to make coming home that much more special. It's that my girls know that dad has a plan when he comes home 
and to think about that and they look forward to it. And it's almost like making a checklist. And part of that checklist is, hey, maybe at 5, 5.30, depending on the day, dad's going to be home. And that they know that from the minute they wake up and go to school in the morning and try to build that into them. I like that. And uh, an episode recently, we had the, the advice of uh, when you're coming home, always kiss your wife first to demonstrate that she's the priority. And I love that advice. And it reminds me when you come home with like a regimen that like your, your kids are, you want the kids to be priority, but at the same time, like that, I hadn't heard that advice. So it really hit me like, and it goes back to that our kids are going to model and the relationships with that we had demonstrate. So like how simple of an act, but like how important of a model is that for them to recognize that you guys are important to me, but mommy's always number one. I think how you said that Ben is great. That uh, it was probably five, 10 years ago. I had seen something. It was either a movie clip or something where the, the kids were being really ruthless to their mom. And the dad made a comment like, Hey, I love you guys. You're my children but you're not going to treat your mom this way. She's number one. And I've always tried to make that a model. Cause like you said, whether we have boys, girls, whatever, they're going to go out and have to leave their own families. And we've got to really instill those character traits into them. I like that. And on the weekends, do you have more time to connect with them? And is it just crazy during the week or is yeah. it pretty much on and off all weekend? No, that's a great, great point that you make. And so I really try to, this is, and this kind of goes into my idea when I wrote exceptional every day is how to combine your work and your passion. And so anytime that I can include them, I'll give you a story from this weekend that will probably be pretty telling. And I think, I think you'll get a kick out of it. I was studying for this big exam this week um, for doing ultrasound procedures on different muscles, tendons, joints because of sports medicine. And I knew I needed an extra three or four hours of practice before this big exam this week. And so I talked to my wife, I talked to the girls and I said, Hey, look, we'll go to church on Sunday morning. And after that, would it be okay if we go to the clinic for two or three hours and you guys get to practice ultrasound with daddy and they're <laughs> nine and seven. So they put their gloves on. They got the ultrasound machine out. We had my textbook out and we're correlating the pictures. And so for two hours, they were part of the work with me, but Did they also back McStuffin. Oh, they were, they were just enjoying it. They were pulling out syringes without needles, of course, and they were pretending to give us injections. And, and so we think about those kind of things and how we're going to build the weekends. And for me, maybe like you and a lot of your listeners, the way that I do it is I just make sure that I'm up early so that if I have some stuff that has to get done with work, with doing a podcast, with doing some journaling, if I have to get up at 4.30 or 5 and get that workout in and get all that done before they're up, that's the key for me because I want to maximize every minute. And I don't just say that, Ben. It's, it really means that to me. We decided to have kids because we wanted to raise them into good people that could help society. And something I tell my children at dinner is that, you guys need to give more back to society than you ever take out. And they're nine and seven and they're already hearing me say that. And so we pattern um, meal time, we pattern weekends and they get it. They know that some days dad's going to be late because I'm covering a basketball game. And, and this year has been different because I've been in uniform, but not in it. So I'm on active duty, but I got to go to a civilian university for a year and do some different kind of work. And so they've seen it differently. I take them to games when I can. Um, but even when I was at Camp Pendleton the last few years, they would go to, with me to my clinic. They'd have a blast and sit at my desk and they got to know everybody. And so I think for me, what I would say, you know, advice wise, if people are listening is if you have a way to integrate your kids in the work that you do and it's fun and enjoyable, try to at least get them involved in some way. I like that. And we get so caught up in that life has to be separate and that they're separate tracks. But I think fitness is a good example that 
you get caught up and say, well, I can't go to the gym or I can't do X because you don't have the time because I got my kid, I got to do something <laughs> with my kids. But at the same time, like, you have you ever seen kids run down the street? They love it. So therefore, yes. like, even just go, getting your kids to go on a run with you, which is maybe probably a run slash walk, but yep. you can incorporate little things of fitness and into what you're doing. Like at night, I oft we've started kind of uh, well, a couple times a week, we'll do push-ups in the living room for like 10 of yeah. them. That's and so awesome. That's just something simple, but they get excited about it. And like, I absolutely hate push-ups in the Marine Corps, bro. <laughs> but I can't imagine making them excited about push-ups at the age of seven, four, and three. Like, what's that going to do for them? Because yeah. and that's incorporating that into their life and getting excited. And it didn't have to be something I divided my time with. It was something that we incorporated yeah. together. That's exactly how I always offer to them, especially when I'm home on the weekend mornings, if I'm here, I said, Hey, do you guys want to go? We have a little gym in our apartment complex. Do you guys want to go and, and play for a little while, go run around? And, and they, nine times out of 10, they're like excited for it, at least for 20 minutes. And we also try to go for a family walk after dinner and that's no cell phones ever. Everything's left at home. Uh, we turn it off. Uh, we've got rules in our house. Like my wife and I don't, ever bring our cell phones in our bedroom. And it's just little things like if you can turn that off for 10, 20 minutes and be totally present with them because this is our chance. They're going to model us. And uh, we just, we're not into the thing about going to a restaurant and everybody's on an iPad or a phone. This is family time and we've got to be together. And, and if it's chaos, then that's just part of the moment. It is. That's exactly right. Don't it's uh, control is a perception. And often the dad advice that people give is, just let go of the control and just ride the wave because at some point you're going to be like, gosh, I wish there was a crazy kid <laughs> screaming upstairs for one more hug right now. And exactly. that moment won't be there to be able to come again. And you'd be like, damn, I really missed it when it was there. You reminded me of something when your kids were going to the doctors, like the girls are at the age where they're starting to figure out the world, how it works that oftentimes we don't spend as parents any time getting our kids outside of their life, which is the normal 12 years in school, doing your homework, uh, just having the basic same pattern of, of life and getting them outside of that lets them figure out how they fit into it. Yes. Exactly. And you have no idea what, the, what them playing with that syringe. They either might become a medical device person or maybe an ultrasound yeah. technician or they might validate that they hate it. That they, right. <laughs> they just learn, okay, I'm going to cross this off. So we don't, we have to get our kids out there to, to, to live life outside of their life to figure out how they can make their impact when they get into it. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about that with them about when we're getting like working with like maybe learning a new math skill or learning how to read harder books. And we say, you know, guys, what we're trying to do for you is just give you more opportunities. And that's really what it comes to. I look back on my life as a kid, which was not what I'm giving for them now. And I look at it and I go, well, I didn't get to do this or I didn't see this opportunity. And now I just want to give them these so that they have choices they can make. And I think that's why just exposing them to so many different things and, and experiences, not things, things aren't going to solve their problems. Yes. But experiences will allow them to see the world in a way that they can move through it. The latest toy at target, not so much. <laughs> Last like a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. My daughter's always wanting crap, and I'm always telling her, like, do you remember <laughs> what the last thing you played with and how long you played with it? And she'll tell me, I'm like, do you really want to waste your money on that? Exactly. And there's a few times where she'll, like, pivot and she'll buy something, <laughs> but then also show, like, uh, a gratitude towards, like, and buy one of everything for, or buy the same thing for her brothers. Like, that's with her money. Like, so I, <laughs> there's wins and losses during the conversation, but uh, 
I always like when she's willing to share her money for her brothers and sisters. That's awesome. So on every episode, we talk about time bombs that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. What are some of the simplest things, and maybe they are doctor's office visits, but what are the simplest things that your kids repeatedly want you to do that are often the simplest things that you wouldn't have expected? Uh, So... Well, it's funny, you know, there, there's so many, especially with my little one, she's got this like anxiety, nonstop dad got to talk all the time. And (laughs) it can, it can literally be as simple as just going in their room and watching them perform a skit for like 30 seconds to a minute. Like, dad, we came up with this new song today and they just want you to sit on their bed or on the floor. That's how they are with me. They're like, just sit here for 30 seconds, dad no computer, no work stuff. Can you just do that? And then they get so much joy out of it. Uh, it also happens when we're just walking down the stairs to go outside. And then the one's like, well, let, let me grab the ball out of the garage. Can we just play for a little bit? Even though we're on our way to go do something else. Mm-hmm. And so it, it might literally be two or three minutes and then they're worn out and they want to do something else. And it's, it's been really that simple with them. And this adventure to Texas has been so different because they had to say goodbye to their friends and we're only here for one year. And so making new friends was kind of difficult because it was only here for a year and people like, Oh, you don't, you're not from here. And then you try to get into a new school. And I think that these little, like, I like how you say it, the time bombs is it's been even more relevant this year to us because they don't have play dates with all these other kids and, and just They're looking for scared. those deposits from you all the time. And it could be as simple as like, <laughs> this, this is pretty funny. I'll bring a box home from work um, for them, just an empty box. And within five minutes, one of them's building a car to sit in and play with. And she cares more about that than any other toy. And she just wants me there with her and it mm-hmm. can be for five minutes. Yeah. They that, want you to enter their world with them. Like that's the, that's when you like strike gold is when you figure out how to turn your imagination into their imagination. And, exactly. and you can, um, I've been sharing a lot in the podcast, how we go on adventure walks, which is the most boring walk around the subdivision. <laughs> But I call random things like seeing a big excavator, like, hey, Dylan, look, there's a cat in the wild. Like, that's, their, oh, that's his imagination, and he just gets the biggest kick out of it. And before the walk is even over, they're asking to go on another walk. And it is literally the most boring subdivision walk you can think of. But I labeled it an adventure, and I created the environment that was their imagination. Oh. I loved it. Well, and that's the thing, Ben. I, I share that with a lot of people. One of the, my favorite words is curiosity, because as we become adults and we get older, we become less curious. We just, we see the world the way that we think it works through our eyes or the way we've been told, whereas children are always asking thousands of questions and they see the world through multiple lenses. And as adults, we break them. Yes. We beat that curiosity. And even this, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that adults are the reason why kids stop reading. Because if you watch the inquisitive, like eagerness of a child to want to read books, and then you look at them later in life. There is at some point it, I have to blame adults because we have to encourage that and nurture that wisdom. I heard a horrible statistic that like only ten percent of people read a book after college. I've read that. I read that too. And I'm just like they, they assume learning stops and like it never stops. Like to literally keep learning and en- entering other worlds is is how you can continue to grow. And if you're not growing, you're dying. And I love what you said about curiosity. That's I got sucked into the passion question, which is almost like a curse. But then I heard. Uh, the passion broken down by Dan Miller differently. And he said, don't follow your passion, just follow your curiosity. They're the yeah. breadcrumbs to your passion. And I've really taken it to another step where it, to frame it like a, a sword that on one side of the sword is your curiosity. The other side is your fear. 
that it's like a compass that you use your curiosity to figure out where you need to go, but let your fear be the stronger compass because what scares you, that means there's something amazing on the other side. And that even with like podcasting and different things, like the more something scares me, generally the more I should run towards it. And those two things are like the primary reason why I'm here podcasting today. That's awesome. Took me a while to figure it out. Uh, but if you like, just help keep that curiosity alive and our, my son's graduating uh, preschool this year and his uh, teacher wrote a comment that he's just always asking questions. <laughs> and I'm, that was me. I was, I'm a, I still ask questions this day. I was in college. I was always asking questions and all the kids hated it, but it's how you learn. And that's, I'm not, I'm paying, especially in college, you're paying for them. So I'm like, I'm going to yeah. ask as many questions I need to until I understand <laughs> this. So my son is just like me of asking questions of how things works. Even like something in the car, he's like, daddy, how does a windshield work? Or, oh, yeah. Daddy, how does the window work? And uh, it's just, crazy the cran this the conversations that he's asking and it's up to us to keep that curiosity alive and especially as military veteran dads we have a really big sense of wit of uh, a wide view of the world the best way i probably can say it that we've seen a lot of different things that other people are very curious about so we can help craft and create experiences that help kids enter that curiosity and and figure it out on their own like we lived adventures every day in the military we can take those adventures and try to recraft them in ways for our kids to learn and grow in. For sure. Yeah, I like how you say that. So you sound like a really ambitious person, which isn't the average person that's <laughs> active duty. So where did you find your switch to go from the average active duty that was the eight to five job and uh, played video games versus to the, the dad that just wanted to uh, help the world see that what their potential was? Yeah, so I think my story because it's a little different in terms of the way I was I was brought up and came from two immigrant parents that really just weren't educated. I mean, books were never in our house, and I don't just say that to sell my book and say, "Hey, look, no one ever read the house." It's completely the truth. I mean, there was my parents didn't even really speak the same language, and I don't know how they stayed married for the number of years they did, but the there weren't books around. And I, and I tell my children that all the time, I'm like, look, I was never read, a book was never read to me. And, and that is something that I looked at as like, how do I leave my legacy in a different way? And so when I joined the military, I was actually going to go to medical school. My roommate and I came back from a career fair and we both decided we were looking at the Marine Corps of the Navy at the time. And we both joined and we're both still in almost 19 years later, but <clears throat> I had already done all the pre-medical stuff. Always wanted to be a doctor since I was nine years old. I had, I'd, had met this one that kind of just lit this fire in me and I could see a way to help people. But then in college, I said, you know, I don't have the money to go to college. My mom had had cancer. And so I was thinking like, how do I pay to go to medical school? Had no real mentor in my life. And so I joined the military and went to officer candidate school. I was actually enlisted for the first year. And then we went to officer candidate school. After that, I got picked up for this officer program because I got my degree. And next thing you knew is I, the passion just wasn't fully there in terms of, I don't think I could do this style of job the whole time, but I was super motivated and got to my first unit and we were getting ready to go on deployment. And I also found out you could do like a master's degree for free. And so they made me the educational services officer as one of my collateral duties and the public affairs officer, which I probably wasn't cut out for either one, but it worked and I grew from it. And next thing you know, we deploy several times around the world. And then a chance came to go be a professor at UC Berkeley 
which I knew was one of the best public schools in the country. And when the Navy was going to send me there for art to teach ROTC, I'm like, this is another opportunity. The Navy paid for more school. I got to teach all these young kids that were 17, 18, starting college and having that impression on them. And that was the biggest impact. And then my Navy captain said, Hey, if your Navy work is done every day, you can go do whatever you want on the side. So I said, well, I'm here at a great school. I should get another degree. And I mean, I was the first one in the family to go to school. It's that whole story you've heard maybe a thousand times, but I was taking advantage of every minute. And that I think goes into your question is for me, my passion is there's so much to learn. Like you said, we can never learn everything. Yeah, Warren Buffett still spends four hours oh, a day reading books, yeah. over 80 years old. Exactly. So that tells me something. Yeah, you know, and then there was this chance to start coaching with the football team at UC Berkeley. And I started making all these relationships with these guys that were becoming professional athletes. And I was tutoring them and professionally coaching them on the side. And then the question was, do I get out of the Navy? Do I stay in? Because that 10-year mark that we go through for some of us. And I, we had a first baby on the way after being married for a few years. And so... I decided that going to medical school, I was, I, I needed to finally do it. I was getting into my thirties and if I was going to do it, I wanted to get going and I applied and you know, the truth be told, the humbling moment was the Navy didn't give me the scholarship at first. They said, no, they're like, we want your test scores to be higher. And I use, I talk about that with some humility because of where I've gone now and that, you know, test scores shouldn't be everything for a person's life, but that's what they pointed that stick at me. And so my captain was like, let's write a rebuttal letter, see if we can get you in. And so I kept, I fought it. And I said, look, I've done all the stuff in the Navy. I got promoted early to Lieutenant commander, these kind of things. And so finally the chance came and um, I've been on that medical journey now trying to affect as many lives as possible. And I'll tell you what's been the coolest part is over the last five years since finishing medical school and then doing my specialty training, I've been asked to re-enlist several Marines and Navy um, folks. And that has been the most touching moment because they, they've said to me, I said, why are you picking me? And they said, because you've always shown us that you can keep learning. And I've never forgotten that because they saw me modeling it for them. And these were 24, 25 year olds that did their four year enlistment and were about to get out. And that was where my passion really, I was like, you know, I've got to keep, if I'm doing this kind of effect on people, I've got to make it, I want to keep going. This is what my legacy is about. So that's been part of it. I'm going to ask you a question to peel back the onion. So based on your childhood, I can imagine you suffered from probably self-worth questions of for sure because a lot of people that uh, get super ambitious and try to uh, learn a lot they're they're like for me I was out there always trying to just continue to learn initially to prove the world that I had value did you suffer from that a little bit yeah I would say self-worth I'd say I was almost embarrassed of my family you know we just didn't we didn't fit fit in I saw these other kids in school and we were in a small town where I was growing up but uh, just didn't seemed like I was fitting in as well, even though people that know me now are like, oh, we never thought that of you, but that was kind of it. And then when I was 16 and- Yeah, tell that to the voice inside my head that says I'm a piece of crap. Exactly. And then, you know, people now, I've got people reaching out to me from high school that I have not seen in 20 some years that are like, wait, I just read your book and I read this part about you living in your truck for a year. And it's all truth of the story. There was very few people that knew about it. Uh, they knew there was a family that eventually took me in, but I lived in that truck for 10 months and 10 days. And that's where my passion to really try and 
make a difference came. And, and one of the things that I talk about or that really sticks with me is I call them making points, these points in your life where, you know, you get to go through that sliding door, which way you're going to go left or right. But for me, I called it a making point. And I look back on that year, 1996 in high school as a, as a junior at 16 years old and literally living in my truck every night. Um, I worked at a health club, so I had keys to a refrigerator. I could keep some food and then I would go there and work out in the morning and then go to school. And, and I think that those moments of adversity, especially when you do feel like your self-worth is not very good and you have no confidence in yourself. Um, I think that I was trying to be ambitious and I, you know, I had this thing about going to college and I didn't, my dad never wanted me to be in the military. He was in the Portuguese military in the sixties and seventies in a pretty horrific war in Africa. And so he attested that I would never be in the U S military after he had immigrated here. And so how that happened, I still wonder sometimes, but I'm still going on this journey trying to make a difference. So what was the pivot point where you were able to, or what technique was the breaking tool for you to, to recognize that you were valuably without even learning a whole bunch of stuff that, because I think that's something, especially after we transition, the value of who we are is, is somehow lessened because we don't have this impactful uniform that comes with this, yeah. this identity at the same time. It, like it's a big problem for military veterans, active and veterans that uh, identifying that you could be, you, you need to love yourself right now. Even all the goals you can have, loving yourself for who you are right now is such a hard thing. I even struggle with it every day. Yeah. I'd say it's still a, a touching point for me. And part of why I got into writing and trying to coach other people is because through my coaching of others, I've learned so much about myself and try to, so that if I could better myself, I knew I could help them better themselves. And I think there was a few points. There was a time in college where my roommate, Chris, who I was mentioning earlier, is still in the Navy, one of my best friends. He had written me a letter when we graduated college just before we were going into the Navy. And he said, you know, the impact I had had on him, which I knew none of that. We were just roommates for four years and it was a great relationship. Never fought, which is hard to believe for anybody. I mean, it was four years living together since we were freshmen and he had written me this nice letter, which I still have. I, I looked at it recently and that's been 20 years, over 20 years where he said that the impact you had on me and the example you were setting every day was incredible. And I never knew, I didn't know I was doing any of that. I was just being me. And that's when I said, well, maybe I am valuable in some way. And I don't know what it was because I, the choices I made, I wasn't a partier. I never did drugs. I, you know, those I worked out every single day at like five o'clock in the morning. I got really good grades and that was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, well, someone else is recognizing something and I didn't ask for that recognition. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And so that's something that I think about now, especially in this digital age where everybody's basing their value off of likes and dislikes. And, mm -hmm. you know, what is someone saying on Facebook or Instagram? And it, it really irks me because there's such great tools like you doing your podcast. This is how people get it. It's because of social media. But then there's also the downfall of social media, all the other stuff where people look at themselves and they think they're not, they're not worth anything. And in my line of work as a family physician, depression and anxiety are two hot topics right now because mm -hmm. everybody's comparing themselves to someone else instead of comparing themselves to themselves and just being the best them, or as I say to them, be the best you that you can be. And so it's super easy to get caught up in the comparison of especially Facebook, especially if there's like oh. someone that's making more money or even more, if there's someone that has the career that you want, 
um, and you're not where you want to be, like it can, you can easily just put yourself in a boxing ring and beat yourself to death with that uh, mental loop of that person's more successful, even though that person has demons, you just don't see them. And I've really, it's, it's something you have to consciously pause when it happens because for my, myself, the trick is to frame that person as someone that's clearing the path for me and showing me where to go and what's capable for my life and try to use it to inspire action from where I am now to get to that point. Like he didn't wake up to that point where he's at and the, you just have to constantly reflect that these people ahead of you are plowing the road and inspiring from where you are to where to go. And if you didn't have those people in front of you, exactly. a lot of people would just stay the same. I'd be curious, who do you have in front of you that you're, uh, you're following as far as someone's plowing the road for you to follow? Yeah, I think that you know, that's a great way to frame what you, what you just said and just thinking about it. And I, I look at people, you know, for instance, and, and I'm not saying that that's where I'll be, but people always say, well, you're a physician now. And, but the thing about me is I'm not even thinking about being a physician. I love it because I get to help people, but people are also like, what are you going to do next? Are you going to go start a church one day? Like what's the next thing that Jason's going to do? Cause, and people do that a lot. And I will be honest, I've thought about it myself too. And I look at these people that have kind of forge this path. And John Maxwell's a big name. I've read a lot of his books. I became one of his, you know, I came under him, became one of the coaches, trainers within his system because I believed in what he was doing. And I mean, and then you look at people anywhere, you could even talk about someone like Tony Robbins, who's big time, right? He's got mm -hmm. his own way because he had adversity as a child that he shared. And there's a, a girl out there named Mel Robbins, who's kind of doing the same. Absolutely thing. love her. She's a, oh she's yeah. Out there. She's like the I highest mean, paid female speaker in the, oh, in the it's, United it's States crazy. right now. Yeah. And you know, Rachel Hollis has a lot of these younger girls following her now, or you look at these people that love what they're doing but are genuinely and authentically doing it the right way. Like you said, you know, someone was doing a podcast before you started your podcast and you're like, Hey, I like this. I want to start doing something like this. And you find your passion with something. And so for me, I don't know if there's just one person, but I keep looking at making my own niche, but making it different in its own way that maybe someone hasn't done yet. Like I see these people who do sports medicine and then I'm finding my own way of like, hey, this is what I want to do when the Navy's done. I've got this idea that, yeah, I'd love to be an NFL team doctor because that's something I really think would be exciting, but not because of the medicine aspect where people shake their head and they go, what do you mean? I said, I want to do it differently. I want to be the team doc, but I also want to have this leadership ethics foundation that I get to teach these guys so that they don't go blow $70 million. And, and I'm doing some of that already. I've got some guys in the NFL that I work with and and that's part of where my passion really is driven is like, I love that aspect. The medicine thing is just an extra thing that I can help them with in their health and wellness and fitness. But I really just want to talk to them about being good fathers and, mm -hmm. and the girls that I'm working with about being really being a good mom or being a big sister and trying to set a good example. And that's talk about people that have it all at the same time, have nothing in some cases, they lose it all. their, their family <laughs> is, is broken. Their kids don't know them. And it's crazy. It, and and we can idolize those guys. It, it's You've also brought up a point where there's lots of people in America that love the NFL and wish they could be an NFL player. But you yeah. have to look at it from all sides of the the coin. And you're, if you were an NFL fan, you're finding a way to, to serve and be connected to those players in a different way. It, but in the same experience, like you'll be on the field. Like I have a mentor of mine, Vincent Bugisi. He was a newspaper photographer eventually worked through his created a wedding business and he started becoming a, fort, a sports photographer 
and he figured out how to get on the field was to be a sports photographer. And he's been there yeah. on the, when the Patriots won the World Series. He was he was right next to the trophy. He was there at the Stanley Cups, and <laughs> you find different ways to get to the same spot. But but what you probably you've had probably done this very successfully is you have to be able to keep moving and having conversations because until you start having conversations with random strangers, you won't be able to put your piece of the puzzle together because everybody has a little piece of what you need and you have to talk to everybody to get there. Like I often wish taps would take us on a field trip to <laughs> some random place where we have to talk to strangers and achieve some objective because honestly that like in the past six months has validated it more, even just through these conversations in the podcast, talking to strangers has served me exponentially better oh. than any skill I've worked on in the last three years, because every person could be the one person that changes your life. And you'll never know if you don't learn to talk to them. And everyone, that one person could have the one piece of the puzzle. Like it could be the one person that helps me name my podcast. And in this particular yeah. case, it was a podcast that helped me name a podcast episode. So exactly until I keep listening and keep adding things and talking to people, you just, won't know where you fit into it and or what the full idea looks like and, and you won't figure it out in your head you have to continue to get outside your head with those thoughts and only when they get outside your head that's when you can start seeing them clearly in your head there's just a bunch of fog and soup mess well i like how you say that ben because it really made me think of something and it, <clears throat> if i had to pick a story of my life that really got me excuse me <clears throat> to where i'm at it's really that ability to just go and talk to people that you don't even know and as a physician i get to do it every day 20, 30 patients yeah. are coming into the clinic that I've never met in the military. You're moving from station to station and you've got to keep making new relationships and meeting new people. And, and that's exactly how I even got to where I am. It's because I, I ran into these people or built these relationships. And I think about each step on the journey or where the people that I'm friends with now that people look at me and they go, Hey, wait, you're friends with these professional athletes or these, these business people. It's because I treat them like they're normal people. And that's, I don't go out there and take pictures with them and post them on my Facebook. It's, they're just like you and me talking right now. And that's where I think the difference is, is I'm not even in to say just like, I like football. I like basketball. I like watching people perform at something that they enjoy, whether it's music, whether it's a sport, it could be anything. You're like the Jerry Maguire of sports medicine. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. You connect to the person. You want to make sure the person is the winner. That's it, man. And I genuinely mean that. And that's, it's hard for people to believe that all the time. And I'm like, no, I mean, when you're in the military, you already are a couple steps behind in terms of pay scale and all those things. So, you know, I'm not, it's, that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. And I, I learned from reading Victor Frankel and man's search for meaning that, you know, success is not something you can actually chase. Happiness is not something you can chase. You have to let life play itself out because if you're mm -hmm. chasing success, it's never going to be enough. But you have to keep moving. That's what I've been yeah. validated the last three years is that it doesn't matter which direction even sometimes. Even if it's a common, you're just moving in a north-south direct or, nor, or northwest direction. As long as you're moving in some direction, talking to people, just continuing to move and to try new things and have random conversations, I've discovered that through that process, you'll figure out where you fit in, what you need to do, your value, how you can fit in. But so much of the transition and trying to work through that just gets stuck when you stop. Like I, I, I frame it as there's like a fog that sets in when you stop moving and you can't even see anywhere in your life. And this is where I think most veterans commit suicide from is because they can't even see reality anymore because they're not moving. They're not talking about anything. They're not communicating their thoughts or, 
and the thoughts just keep getting louder and louder and they can't see what's going on anymore. And those thoughts eventually convince them that their life would be better without them. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah so I like, I just, that's... like, just keep moving. Even being a dad, just like doing this, something this silly, stupid, whatever your kids, that's moving. That's movement that connects you to those moments and day by day, slow by slow, you'll be able to get exactly. momentum and keep going just naturally without having to force it. Uh, it's keyword. Yeah. I, the momentum word and, and just keep moving. That's yeah. Cause people say, Hey, isn't this enough? Like you shouldn't be working on this. I know I got a lot of harsh comments when I was working, really starting to write my book when I was still a resident and they're like, Hey, you're doing enough. You need to just focus on this. And that's just how my brain works. Like you got to have something else and keep growing all the time. And that's, but that's the difference in the end. It's like, Oh, why did he get there? Why is he doing that? If you're passionate about it, you know, I tell my kids all the time, you should think of ways that you want to keep growing and they're seven to nine. And I feed that to them now. I'm like, you shouldn't just stop because you finished reading one book, find another yep. way. Or when they're doing their music practice, I'm like, Hey, if you play that once or twice more and I'm not going to push it, but if you guys do that again, watch, you'll be even better at it tomorrow instead of just, Hey, I did it for five minutes. I'm done, dad. And so. I always like I to like explain to, that uh, it comes kind of comes to the gym, like uh, do things a day that others won't. So tomorrow you can do things that others can't. Yeah, that's a great quote. Like you, you can take those steps to do things that other people are just too lazy and they would rather watch Netflix. And then tomorrow you're going to do things that they can't even do because yesterday you were doing something they could do, but then just chose not to. And that slowly compounds and you just start building that gap. And it's ultimately comes back to a little bit to uh, like, I think this is where we, get such a maybe divide between the successful and the middle class where we just get caught up in the patterns of commercialism, capitalism, that, that all of those require consumers to stay in patterns of life. And we have to get outside those patterns. We've got to create new patterns. We've got to get outside that life in order to be able to try to move in some new direction. But if you don't even realize you're in a pattern, you get, then you don't even really realize you have to break it. Yeah, right. I mean, how many times do you have a, a routine every week and you go to Target groceries and then you just rinse and repeat and you go back to work? Like, that's exactly. not building or growing. That's just you continuing to feed the capitalist machine of consumerism and buying more things and keeping up with the Joneses. Very true. When you, when, when you uh, picked a book, what inspired you to pick this particular title of the book? <clears throat> you know, I was... I had this idea of this thing called the process a long time ago. And I, literally I was in high school, it's 20 some years ago. And I was sitting in my truck by the beach and I started writing and I kept thinking like, you know, everything in life is this systematic approach. Like whether you go to college and then you do this, you do that, or at least that's what I was made to believe. But even if things that are random, there still seems to be a process involved. So I, was, I, I wrote down the process on this note card. I remember, and I shoved it in my grandma's house so I didn't leave everything in the truck. And then years later, I came back and got that little box and had all these writings in it. And then as I was coming up with titles and everything, and you know, I, I learned something a long time ago, when you write the book, don't worry about the title up front, get all the information in there and then start to build it. And so with the publishing team, you know, we kind of looked at what the gist of my book was all about and trying to make your life better and trying to have significance in your life and leaving a legacy. And as we put those things together, we thought, well, how do you leave the right legacy? How do you actually have significance on other people? Or how do you give back to society? The only way to really do that is to try and get better 
kind of every day, something. And people go, what do you mean get better every day? You can't get better every day. That's what people will tell me. And they'll give me a lot of criticism here and there. But just even people that I meet or they find out I wrote the book or they see a comment on my blog and they're like, well, how do you really get better? I said, you're not getting better at everything every day. You're finding something to improve on. So that could be a high school kid who's learning how to shoot free throws. It could be a mom who wants to become a better cook or a dad or anything. My child who's trying to work on her math and she's really struggling with geometry or those things. It's find something that you can improve every day. And you can like for me, I want to be able to read more books and put more knowledge into my mind, especially self-help, personal growth type things. So I've got to actually learn how to read a little bit faster. I take notes when I read. And I'm 39 years old and I still sit there. I, I, I have a note card for every book and I actually will write something down. So that takes longer to read. And so trying to get better at reading and like going to the gym and still trying to get a little better at this certain lift or running a little bit faster. And so I try to tell people, you know, I kept thinking, how do you, how do you get that into someone's mind? And so then it goes back to what you brought up earlier about when you're younger and you think about your self-worth and your confidence. And I saw, I thought, if you were thinking about becoming exceptional, you know, we always say there's no such thing as perfect. And, and I kind of go down that route because I don't want my kids to go, well, they have to be perfect at this, that you should always keep striving. And I thought if you're striving on becoming exceptional, that's pretty good. And so we kind of put these words together and tried to tie it together. So it may not be perfect, but we were like, how do we do this? And so that's how it kind of was birthed. I like that. And my early mentor, Vincent Leguizzi, again, he framed it where, he said, uh, don't try to do the big things. Just focus on being 1% better every day and doing 1% each day in 100 days. Something will be completely different. And even yeah. just a few weeks ago, for me, that was simply, uh, there was a podcast, Ryan Mickler's I was listening to, and he was giving a rant about, you can try to change your life, but if your car is a complete mess, then you're really <laughs> missing out on the details. And I was like, well, that was me. So for me, 1% better was simply committing to have a better, cleaner car and not letting the clutter of traditional dad commute car just where stuff builds up everywhere and I've right. held to it and but like it's sometimes it's as simple as that like you can easily get caught up in the definition of what a book is maybe where you focus on your life but yeah. in reality your garage is probably a complete mess there's probably a couple shovels in the backyard you haven't put away there's a few flower beds that could be cleaned up these were all things that help your mind feel like you're moving forward and can help feel like your life is becoming even just more valuable or even just more fulfilled because doing things with your hands, all of those things outdoors, just those things will help you feel better. And, and also that just cause most likely your brain's been thinking about them on subconsciously forever. So I can't tell you how many times a honey do list overwhelms me and then just doing <laughs> on it. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. A thousand times better because I took two things off of it. Exactly. That's simply being 1% better. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. And, but just like in everything in 2019, we, overcomplicate thing because I'm sure you probably dive into this book, but um, excuses can be extremely comfortable oh, to hold on to. They can be almost exactly. like a, a good blanket almost like exactly people like they're like their best friend. As long as that excuse is there, then they're safe that they, they don't have to reveal the world of who they are. And you got to let yeah. the, you got to just work through those. A lot of people don't even realize they have those excuses that they exactly. always use in, but especially even as dads, there's always a thousand reasons why people can't be the dad they want to be. Yep. But generally they're all BS. They're all just reasons for them to feel comfortable being who they are, which isn't really something they're, they're comfortable with being anyhow. So it's, it's like a, a loop that doesn't actually end until you break it. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that that's that quote about insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I think about it with dads, especially because there's always something. And then you look and you go, well, wait, you got home from work at six. Did you really have to go watch that game tonight? I get it. You want to go watch the game with your friends, but you've got a couple kids at home that haven't seen you all week. Yeah. And, and the Bucks will still, and the, the team will still be playing in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always, I, I'm not a big sports guy and I never grew up sports. So it wasn't like ingrained in me, but I, now it's more even aware to me. Like, I just don't like connecting my happiness to oh. something I don't have any control over. Like there's people that will be broken for three days after a football game loss. And it's like, nothing you did affected that. And like, why are you letting yourself feel like crap exactly. for three days for something that was over? And they still made their million dollars and went on and went home and they'd be happy even if they lost and here you're miserable eating Cheetos. I mean, you know, I, me, I, I don't know, you want to call it fortunate, unfortunate, but you know, I spent four years in Milwaukee and I remember <laughs> Mondays, they said the psychiatrists were always busy if the Packers lost and the same. Oh thing yeah. They don't take Texas. losses up here. Well, no. and Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I've been where people are like, Oh, this is America's team. I've now I'm in Texas and it's the Cowboys and it was green Bay up in, in Wisconsin. And so you think about those kind of things and you're right. I've never lived my life like that at all. I mean, I, they're like, Hey, did you watch the game tonight? I'm like, no, but then I might get a call from like one of the guys I'm mentoring who's an NBA player and I'll talk to him about his life. We're not even talking about the game. And so that's, what's kind of cool about where I'm at with sports. It's really not about wearing a team. I don't have a single Jersey. I'm not one of these, you know, it's just not my thing. And I know these guys and, and it's more important that they have this shoe or this Jersey vice what their kid is eating for lunch at school tomorrow, or did they get their homework done and those kind of things. And so trying to speak to the hearts, especially of the veteran fathers that are out there or the veteran mothers, because we have got a great mix now that moms are taking the lead on a lot of this and they're the ones that are deployed. And so how do you make what's at home matter? And I think part of that is start with yourself. And when you mm -hmm. can look at yourself in the mirror and know that you're doing everything you can to give your children the best life possible. And that can mean a lot of, there's a lot of definitions for best life and best life doesn't mean doing everything for them and not letting them have adversity. That's not what best life is. It's showing them, Hey, this is something happens and this is how you correct it and teaching them about learning from failure. And that truly the maxim of failure leads to success is a great thing that we can all learn from. And especially when we're trying to raise children and show them that. And there's so many times as a military veteran dad where we don't talk about things. We don't talk about our feelings. Yes. But it's just, and we can feel like our marriage is a mess. We can feel like our relationship with our kids is a mess. And the one piece of advice I always see recycled over and over in the Facebook groups I'm a part of is, especially even like where maybe they're going through a divorce and they don't even really know what to do and their their spouse is maybe completely out there and is going completely all into it and getting divorced. The best advice always is focus on you and pick something to improve that there is always a piece of advice that you haven't implemented on yourself. And I'm often reminding us for myself when I get into a funk that just focusing on yourself is the only thing you have control over in this universe and nothing else you actually have any control over. It's just a bunch of human beings being human beings and in the end, when you feel like you have the least amount of control, that's when you need to double down and focus on you and try to improve something. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I drew my kids these little uh, concentric circles years ago, made these little cards for them, and they still have them. And it basically has them in the middle of it. I said, that's what you can control is what's in the middle. And the one thing that you can always control is your attitude. So no matter what anybody does to you, if someone makes fun of you, if someone hits your car, if someone steals something from you, you get to control how to react to it. And I'm still working on that every day. We all have to work on how we react to things, but that's the thing. And then the next circle out is the things you have an influence on. So you can influence what happens on those, but you don't have the actual control. And then the final way, all the way on the outside ring are the things you've got no control over at all. And so I've tried to instill that in them and that, Hey, if they work on them every day, they get up, they brush their teeth, they go to school and they have a really good day at school. They don't react bad to other kids or their teacher and they come home that it's going to make that day so much better and just focus on, on them, especially when they're that young. Hey, you hit on something that uh, we won't have time to completely dive into, but we can hit it a little bit here. The, I've been, my daughter's a super emotional, like she can go from zero to 10 in a heartbeat. <laughs> Everything is the end of the world. Um, oh, yes. But teaching them how to understand their emotions and understand the reaction they should have to that emotion I see something as something between the age of like five and 10 is like our primary role as parents to really teach them what's the proper response to those emotions. Like you can be super angry, but you don't hit people because of that. You can be super sad, but that doesn't mean you hurt someone else because you're feeling sad. Like, and if you think how many times my, my kids are always beating up each other because, Oh, he did it to me. I'm like, it doesn't matter how sad you feel, how angry you are that they hit you how you respond is the only thing you have control and it's not going to make it better. Yes. We have this discussion a lot and uh, emotional intelligence is such a key concept that when we were growing up, Ben, it wasn't something that we really ever talked about, especially joining the military. I wasn't like, even the Webster dictionary. Yet. No, <laughs> we were told to keep those emotions inside. I mean, that's part of what putting a uniform on and yeah, emotions get you killed. You pause, exactly. you're dead. And so I, I look at adults now and that's why if you look at, especially people in our generations and, and older than us, that the emotional intelligence was, it's just not, it wasn't there. And now we've got a chance to help our kids with this so that they can do better than we did with those things. Well, Jason, as we wrap up here, this conversation has been absolutely amazing. If you could sum up all the advice you'd want to leave for dads in one piece of parting advice, what would it be? I would say that, take a look at who you are. Take a look in the mirror. Don't take a step away. The hardest thing that can do is to do that. So just look at yourself in the mirror, focus on who you are as a person and really think deep down about the legacy that you want to live, that you want to leave for your children. So actually living is the right word, but living that legacy now so that your children can see it no matter what you've been through. If you've been through deployment, if you're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, if anxiety is something that is as common as you going to bed every night and depression is something you're working on or you've made that jump past your adversity and you're doing well, I think you've really got to focus on you. And if you can start to just look at every little thing that really means something to you, your passion, the work that you're doing, and you can find, like you said, Ben, making a 1% difference each day, maybe every other day, and you can work on that. I think that you're going to be really proud of where you've come as a dad or a mother, wherever you're at. And then just, that's how you're going to make such a big impact. And it's, you hit another nail is, is reflecting backwards. So especially, I'm sure you've got into this as you started climbing the mountain, you can very often forget the pause and enjoy the view. 
the time. Something you can, I, you can I just struggle. get focused on that summit, like that summit's mine, that summit's mine. Yeah. And you probably run into an obstacle and you get so frustrated that you're not there. But how often do you pause just to turn around and be like, man, the view from where I'm at is amazing. Like, so, cause it, you, I do it even as a dad, like you can feel like, gosh, I still have so far to go. But at the same time, I've come so far in who I am and how I show up in my kids. Like that's still an amazing view to pause and just reflect that. Cause otherwise you'll get hung up into that. It's never enough. And exactly. uh, that's not healthy either. No, uh, very destructive. So Jason, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to connect with you? I imagine the best place to find your book is on Amazon. Yeah, I would say that the, the website, Jason Valadeo, so J-A-S-O-N-V-A-L-A-D-A-O.com is where I've got my website. I've got a ton of free resources, and that's why I built it. It's got health and nutrition resources. If you're looking for something like you're going through physical therapy, you've got an ailment you're trying to recover from, I've got a lot of free stuff to download there. I've got all kinds of food maps. If you're trying to figure out how to change your diet, they're all free no expectation. There's nothing to buy on there. Uh, the book is on there. You can get the book at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, 1-800-CEO-READ is another website that's got really good discounts for bulk ordering. Uh, but if you go to the website, you can really connect through my Instagram, Facebook, those kind of things. But I try to do a, I, I send a weekly blog post out a newsletter uh, some kind of random topic, especially with personal growth. Uh, one coming up uh, in a couple weeks here is on on the movie Aladdin and kind of the learning points you can learn from that. And I wrote one about the greatest showman last year, same kind of thing. But I'd stop in at the website, check it out. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great place to stop. You and me are part of the same pod. I remember when you mentioned that we both oh, yeah. wrote on the greatest show. <laughs> did you read my chance, notice my Christopher Robin one? That one, that one hit me like a ton like, of bricks when I watched that. I was crying my eyes out at the end of that movie. Yeah, that's awesome. That one had about a thousand metaphors for a busy dad to pay attention oh, to. Oh, man. There's, they're all over the place. If you and just they probably kinda... flew over a million Americans that didn't even pause to reflect on it. Exactly. No, I got made fun of for talking about going to watch The Greatest Show with my kids. And I was like, man, there was so many good things in there. I first saw it on an airplane back from Prague. And I was crying my eyes out on an airplane full of strangers. Awesome. And I was like, hopefully nobody notices me. <laughs> Well, Jason, I really appreciate this. And I'll include all of that information in the show notes. And if anybody wants to connect with Jason, they can use those links to connect them and also get the links to connect with his book. And uh, Jason, thank you for this conversation. I really appreciate it giving you an hour of our time tonight. And I know I'm positive we brought a few dads home tonight. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ben, for having me here. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.